Welcome to another episode of Conversations and Connections. We're the official podcast of the Family Crisis Center of East Texas. I'm Stuart Burson, the prevention coordinator for the agency. And today we're going to talk about prevention, specifically uh, the role that the TCFV plays. Uh, TCFV is the Texas Council on Family Violence. And my guest today on the podcast is William West. He's the prevention manager for that agency. And I actually recorded um, William's uh, my, my conversation with William uh, previously. So we're going to listen to that. Uh, and again, uh, it's William's uh, role with the TCFV to do prevention work. And so I just kind of wanted to get his take. Uh, as an agency, the Family Crisis Center does a lot of work with the TCFV. Uh, we see TCFV folks at a lot of conferences. Uh, they conduct a lot of conferences that we attend. And so I just kind of wanted to get William on to let's just talk about uh prevention work and the role that TCFV plays. So here's my conversation with William West. Okay, so with me, uh, William West with TCFV all the way from Austin. William, how's it going this morning? I'm doing great, Stuart. How are you? I'm doing good. I uh, appreciate you taking some time uh, to, to do this. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, William, what I want to do before we really start talking about prevention and TCFE's role in prevention, uh, I'm sure there's some uh, folks out there who may be listening that may not even know what TCFV is. So let's kind of start out broad. Can you just uh, let's talk about exactly what the Texas Council on Family Violence does, what the purpose is uh, of uh, the organization and what you guys do? Absolutely. So the Texas Council on Family Violence, or TCFV, is uh, Texas's statewide domestic violence uh, coalition. So every state, every territory in the United States has a, a coalition, a nonprofit coalition that works to end domestic violence. And in Texas, that is TCFV. So we are a membership organization. So all of the local shelters, local resource centers for domestic violence survivors, um, or most of them at least, are members of TCFB. So we take that collective membership power and we advocate at the legislator. We do trainings, we do systems advocacy and trainings work. Um, we do technical assistance. We, um, we don't do any direct services for survivors, yeah. um, but we do um, take uh, calls from survivors and help them find the right resources. Um, we hold a few resources like utility waivers and and we hold a lot of um, collective knowledge about the resources available to survivors in the state of Texas. Okay. Um, one, one thing that kind of crossed my mind, how do you receive funding? Are there memberships? Like do agencies pay memberships to be a part of TCFE? Do you, does TCFE, like a lot of our age, a lot of fellow agencies, we receive grant funding. How, yeah. how does that work? So TCFB um, is funded in a couple different ways. So we are majority grant funded. So we um, get a lot of state and federal funding. Um, we do have, um, so to be a member of TCFB, uh, an organizational member, um, there, there are dues. So organizations do pay dues to be members. And so we, that is um, part of our funding. Um, we also have individual memberships where individual people can, can be members for, oh, ooh, 
I should probably know this, but I think it's like $35 a year, I think. Okay. Um, unless you're a survivor, survivors can have individual lifetime membership for free. Um, so, okay. Um, but yeah, so so most of our funding is state and, uh, state and federal grants. Um, we have a few other like research grants that we have sure. also, sure. Um, but but we do take uh, membership dues from programs as well. Okay. So uh, your title with TCFE is prevention manager. What um, exactly do those duties entail? So um, TCFE, another thing about us is we have three big programmatic teams. So we have the policy team, the support to service providers team, and the team that I'm on, which is the prevention team. Um, so our team's focus is working with prevention educators like yourself um, throughout the state to really establish best practices to help problem solve and brainstorm like the best solutions to some of the barriers that we see to prevention in the state. So in my role, um, it's developing and facilitating trainings, um, taking technical assistance, uh, helping people uh, review or critique their curricula, um, and doing a lot of cross collaborations with our other programmatic teams um, when it comes to like, I, I work at the intersections of like health and domestic violence. And so um, what are the systemic solutions that we might be able to use our collective membership power at TCFE to um, uh, affect change on? Okay. Okay. So I was wondering TCFE, I know um, depending on grant funding, uh, I think the majority of what I did, what probably other prevention uh, folks do is what's called primary prevention, right? Which, uh, and you can kind of, if you want to kind of explain what primary prevention is, you can. Uh, but does TCFV strictly take a primary prevention approach when it comes to their prevention work? So my understanding is that, so I've been with TCFV for about four years. My understanding is that in the past, um, it was very focused on primary prevention. Um, for, the, for folks who might be listening who don't know, um, we kind of structure prevention in three tiers, primary, secondary, and tertiary. Um, tertiary is really just a different word for intervention. So you think about your um, crisis counselors, your um, case managers that are in shelter, like those folks are doing tertiary prevention, someone who is actively in crisis. Um, secondary prevention is like someone who's already been exposed to crisis, um, or to to a to an issue or, or a, um, to violence in this case, um, and primary prevention is trying to prevent it from before it ever happens, before someone is even um, exposed to it. Um, so, um, but yeah, so now TCIV doesn't take just a primary prevention approach, um, really embracing the fact that all of these levels of prevention are important, um, and. Uh, we really breaking down some of those um, artificial barriers between prevention work and intervention work um, and saying that even if you're working with a survivor who is actively in shelter, they've already been in an abusive relationship, um, working with them to give them mental health counseling, to give them housing, to give them the, the just um, interpersonal tools and dynamics um, to not enter into an abusive relationship sure. when they go, when they leave right. shelter again is prevention work and it's valuable prevention work. Um, and so, um, so yeah, I think that, that we are really embracing a more expansive and strategic approach to prevention. Um, yeah, and I think that's kind of, as an agency here at the Family Crisis Center, I think that's kind of what we've been doing also. We've kind of moved away 
And of course, not discounting the importance of primary prevention, but also embracing all the other aspects of prevention as well. Uh, you know, and I think that's made us a little bit more well-rounded. And like I said, I think you're able to do more, serve more, and, and maybe uh, probably even be more effective in your prevention work when you can kind of incorporate all of those aspects, right? Absolutely. And that, that's the thing is like, it, it lets you be more responsive to the person or the people that are in front of you. Yeah. Um, because you can't say, oh, well, you've already been in an abusive relationship, so we're not going to do prevention education with you anymore. Like, right. you want to be able to be responsive and work with the whatever the population is or whoever the people are in front of you. Because that's the other thing about primary prevention is a lot of people assume um, that it's with young children that you have to work yeah. with, right? Like, um, and adults, there are a lot, there are plenty of adults who could, who have never been in an abusive relationship, who have never been exposed to abusive um, relationships in their like family history. Um, and so you could still do primary prevention with adults, but you also don't want to discount prevention education with college students or, or adults or, or elderly yeah. people, right? So like you want to be able to work with all of these populations to create uh, a world without, um, abusive relationship right well what, what do you think about uh, i guess our society our culture or maybe one of texas as a whole as far as uh being aware about relationship violence today as opposed to let's say i don't know 10 20 years ago uh, uh do you think it's more on the forefront now on people's minds and is it in the media more and are people being uh, made aware of it more than they were years ago? Uh, I think so. I think that um, particularly the media aspect, I think it used to be really difficult to depict abusive relationships. And then in the 90s, uh, I mean, some, some things before that, but I feel like really in the 90s, it started to tick up where you started to get portrayals in sitcoms or in soap operas, um, music videos. Right. Um, and, and so I do think that there was awareness and there was a lot of pushback when some of those things started with people being like, well, this isn't appropriate to show on television, um, because it's a, a family issue, right? Like that's right. kind of the, the general response is that it, it's a, a personal issue between a husband and wife, or it's a, it's a personal, like a family dynamic. And, um, and so I think that there is more awareness. I think there is more, um, funding and more uh, re just resources broadly um, as we um, have increased that exposure uh, on, uh, in common media channels as well as started to have bigger and broader conversations about gender equity. Right, right, right. And I think that, you know, and I didn't really realize that until I started doing prevention work, how big a part gender equity plays in prevention work and just being inclusive, being, uh, you know, being aware of uh, BIPOC rights and uh, awareness. And, uh, and I think, well, I, I think I might ask you something here in a little bit about uh, the woke community. You know, a, a lot of times, I'll talk to my friends about the work that I do and not all of them, but I will admit some of them kind of like roll their eyes a little bit about some of the yeah. things that we do and some of the issues we address. But I think that's so important 
in this day and age, then we do look at all of these issues. Look at, you know, uh, address the people who are, you know, transgender, address the, the people of color and, and every, everyone, and not only address the issues that affect just them also. You know? Yeah, so I think I think that's one of the things about prevention work is that uh, a lot of people will think that prevention work is just saying, hey, don't hit your partner, or hey, don't let your partner hit you, and that's kind of the end of the conversation, when really we know that like gender-based violence, um, intimate partner violence, relationship violence, whatever term you want to use to describe it, um, is a form of oppression and it's interconnected to all of these other things, right? right. It's interconnected to racism, it's interconnected to homophobia, it's interconnected to um, like strict gender roles and gender norms. Um, and, and so, and that's not to say that, that people of any gender can't be a, a, a perpetrator or someone who uses violence um, or a victim or someone who's experiencing violence, um, but prevention work has to be broad and has to address all of these connections to really be effective right. uh, because i think for so long we the domestic violence movie really movement really tried to stay like quote unquote stay in its lane um where it's like well we're not going to talk about other types of violence because we we just want to focus here and it's like we have to we have to talk about how domestic violence is connected to child abuse and how it's connected to sexual assault and how it's connected to human trafficking like it's connected to all of these other forms of violence gun violence right like just community violence broadly bullying like you know a lot of prevention workers they have a, an anti-bullying presentation in their pocket to be ready to talk about that when they're in a school yep. talking about dating relationships right because because those things are connected right um and so yeah well, and I, you know, when I talk to kids and, that, and when I have a series of presentations I'm doing, I do talk about bullying because to me, bullying is, that's a relationship issue, you know, between classmates or, or whatever, right? Yeah. And what, in, in your experience in doing prevention work, let's go ahead and kind of talk about this. Have, have you or TCFD ever been criticized for being uh too woke you know or being part of the woke culture and uh and y'all need to ease up a little bit on that uh yeah so i, I don't know if anybody's ever come at us with that specific right. term but we at TV and our provincial department we do try to do a lot of work with anti-oppression, particularly anti-racism, um, and really helping folks draw the connections onto why someone who is doing domestic violence prevention needs to care um, about anti-racism work and anti-homophobia work. And, uh, and sometimes we do get some pushback, like, oh, we're talking about this again. Um, or, oh, like, this is another one of those presentations. We've already right. sat through one. Why do we have to keep hearing about this? Um, and so sometimes we get some pushback, um, and we also think that it's important that we keep centering, um, there's a, there's a, Bell Hooks wrote a book, um, called, um, From Margins to Center, um, and so really talking about how oppressed populations need to be centered in our systemic solutions, um, and, and I think that that is really what we keep trying to do, is saying, like, you know, they're, our oppressed populations still today we're not we're not in a like quote unquote post-racial society or post-gender society like we're not 
in that space. Um, yeah. we, people are still experiencing the impacts of racism and uh, sexism and homophobia and classism and, and all of those are connected to how our society tolerates and um, allows gender-based violence to happen. Yeah. Um, and so it is important for us to be informed, even if you're not out there doing an, uh, uh, an anti-racism presentation, if you're talking to populations of Black, Indigenous, or pe other people of color, you should know how gender-based violence impacts them and how it impacts them differently. Um, and so, yeah. Um, so, so sometimes we do get, just bringing it back to your actual question, <laughs> sometimes funny. we do get some pushback. Um, and, um, and we understand, like, that, yeah, sometimes it's hard to hear the same information and we try to change it up and contextualize it differently. Um, but sometimes repetition is important for emphasis and saying like, this is important. Um, and we don't just do it with the prevention workers that we work with. We, we've done it with executive directors of programs because they're the leaders of their programs and they need to know yeah. not, not only for the survivors that they're serving as an organization, but also for the staff. There right. are BIPOC staff or LGBTQ staff that they work with um, and just knowing how uh how they're impacted by the work that they're doing as advocates. Um, and we know that a lot of staff at organizations are survivors themselves. And so, um, you know, just, just being able to see all of these connections and you're not gonna get it right every time. And that's one of the things that we try to talk about, um, but knowing how to um, at least try to approach it. Um, yeah. And if you yeah. mess up, how to remedy that as well, so. Sure. Um, how do, do you ever feel this prevention work kind of going off of what we just talked about? Is it is it sometimes that is is it extra tough to do in a conservative state? You know, Texas is still kind of considered to be a red state, uh, especially the rural areas, and sometimes I find it uh challenging even when i talk about gender socialization you know uh in rural east texas i sometimes i kind of feel like it's an extra effort to get that message across in a more conservative community i think it can be and i think a lot of it is um rooted in like that knee-jerk reaction of like this is changed this is different this is not you know, how I grew up, this is not right. um, something we should be talking about. Like there's a lot of cultural norms around, you know, you, you, we, don't, we don't talk about that. Like we don't, um, and so I think that there's, there's some of those, uh, I do think that it's more challenging in a conservative state, I think, or conservative communities. Um, there's a lot of resistance to talking about um, like masculinity, for example, and, and talking about like norms because there's a lot of misconceptions on what that conversation is going to be like. Um, um, and then, of course, uh, I know a lot of prevention educators across the state that, that can't talk about like sexual assault or the impacts of sexual abuse um, because it's about sex, quote unquote, right? And it's like, that's not exactly what we're talking about. Um, but um, so, so I do think it's more challenging. I don't think that it's impossible. And I, it's not that I don't think... Um, conservative communities right. don't care about preventing violence. 
Um, I think it's a often a disagreement in how we approach it or how we talk sure. about it. Sure. I think I think one of the things, for example, is um, I, I hear it more in conservative communities that like, oh, this should be a conversation that the parents are having with their children. Um, and it's like, I don't disagree with you, but also who taught the parents that? <laughs> right, exactly. If nobody, if nobody taught the parents, how well equipped are they to have that conversation with their children? Um, because now we're expecting people to just grow up and figure it out and just know things. And that's not how, that's not how we work right. as humans. Like we have, somebody has to teach us or we have to learn by doing or, um, and so we're not making, we're not just out there making assumptions yeah. or, um, and so, um, so yeah, I think, and, and at that points back to what I said earlier about like adults also need prevention education. It's not just about teaching young people. It's about engaging entire communities in a prevention conversation. Yeah. You know, when, whenever I approach schools about, you know, asking about, uh, Hey, can we come talk to your classes? Can talk to your students? It's surprising because some of our most rural, tiniest school districts have been so welcoming. Yeah, come on over. And sometimes some of the bigger school districts are more like, ooh, I don't know. You know, we're going to have to run it through the chain of command. And I've even had some counselors tell me, you know what? We know our kids need to hear this, but our parents would have a fit if and I'm even, I even try to explain to them, look, we're not going to say, go have all the sex you want as long as you get consent. Right. <laughs> you know, it's more about just relation, healthy relationships and, 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 and things like that. And I even um, did a presentation to a group of adults a couple of years ago. And a guy came up to me afterwards and said, well, you make it sound like we can't look at pretty girls. I said, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you can't look at pretty girls. Be aware of how you look at them. <laughs> you know, be a, be mindful of what you how you do that and what you do. But I'm not saying you can't admire beauty or or whatever. You know, or or you can't flirt or you can't you know yeah. date or any of those. Like yeah. I feel like that's a lot of pushback, particularly from from men. Right, um, and it's like, well, you're just saying we can't be men or we can't. It's like, let's examine like what behaviors you're really mad about not being able to do anymore. Like, are you not being, are you, are you mad about not being able to like cat call a woman when you see them? Exactly. Are you mad about not being exactly. able to like continually press for a relationship after she's already said no? Um, are you mad about like not being able to like just grab a girl and pull her on the dance floor or something like that? Like, Right, like, like those are things that we need to talk about boundaries and how you can approach that differently. But no one's saying you can't flirt. No one's saying you right. can't ask a girl exactly. out. Yeah. No one's saying you can't tell a girl that she's pretty in the right context. If may, maybe not, if you're at work, you shouldn't be telling the people <laughs> right. supervising how pretty they are. That doesn't mean you can't give them a compliment. Sure. But you know, we just have to know what what these different boundaries are and and. Um, and I think that goes back to the conversation about, not that we've talked about privilege, but like when you don't, when you've never experienced that type of unwanted attention, you don't know how it impacts someone else. And so it's really a lot of prevention work, I think, is getting someone to like try to put themselves in someone else's shoes and say like this behavior that you may not have experienced, maybe you've never been in an abusive relationship, but that doesn't mean abusive relationships don't exist. 
and um, and and don't uh, deserve attention and education about how to prevent them. You know, uh, William, you and I were talking last week uh, about this upcoming uh, podcast, and I think we, uh, or I kind of mentioned that you and I are in kind of a unique position. We're both men that are involved in the prevention movement here in the state. What role do men play or can men play in prevention? You know, I told you this, I think it's kind of neat whenever I introduce myself to people as, look, I do, or people ask me, well, what do you do for a living? You know, if I tell them I'm the prevention coordinator for, you know, a women's shelter, they don't know what that means. I usually say, well, I do public education about uh, healthy relationships, you know, to kind of help prevent domestic violence and sexual assaults from happening. And I'm kind of proud to say that as a man, you know, that there's, here's a man that is part of that movement, you know, and what role do men have in this? I know that may be kind of a very broad question, but um, what role can we play as men in this? I think it's a great question. I do think it's a big question, but I, I think it's a great question because I think that um, often domestic violence still, I mean, we, we talked earlier about how there's more awareness about it, but still, I think a lot of people consider it a women's issue um, because of it's framing it as who is impacted by the violence. Yeah. Um, but when we look at who is perpetrating most of that violence, it is men. Um, and so I think being able to be a man working in this movement to both model um, that, that men can, that men can talk about healthy relationships, that men can be uh, examples and role models to not just to young men, but to everyone um, is important. And I think um, when we're talking about prevention, um, one of the things that I think one of my criticisms of prevention is that so often prevention education is focused on um, preventing victimization. So often it's talking to, maybe not explicitly talking to young women, but talking to people about how not to be a victim, um, how, how to recognize that they're in an abusive relationship and how to exit that abusive relationship. Um, but we don't so much focus on how to prevent perpetration or how to say, well, when someone does reject you, um, or someone tells you no, or someone sets a boundary with you, how do you respect those boundaries? How do you deal with your own internal rejection or anger or whatever, and not respond in, a, in an abusive way? Um, and I think that seeing men do this education is, is part of that, right? It's part of that, you know, men, we're not, we're not, um, depicting all men as abusers. We're not depicting all men as, as violent. Um, and, and I think, but I do think it's, it's the responsibility of men to talk to other men about masculinity, about gender norms, about gender roles, about how to um, uh, take accountability and responsibility for their actions um, in a relationship, out of a relationship, um, and I think that when men are working in the movement, it is, uh, it is sometimes shocking for people, um, and, or surprising, maybe shocking is maybe too much, but, um, but, um, but I think that 
that it's it's a real opportunity to to have conversation yeah. differently. Um, and so so I think that um, I do think it's important that, that there are more men working in the movement. We're particularly in prevention spaces. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Um, one of the last things I want to ask you, we talked about men's roles. What about, what about our youth? Um, what, what can we do or how can our youth be involved in this, in the prevention movement? What role do uh, they play? Do they play? A couple, a couple different things come to mind immediately. So the, the first one is when we're developing programming for young people, young people should be informing that programming, right? Often I think as adults, we think we know what's best for young people. We think we know what they need to know and how they need to learn it and how they need to respond to it. Um, and often that results in an activity or a lesson that's just not engaging to a young person. And so having young people inform your curriculum, inform your activities, and that can be a couple different ways. It could be through like a feedback form at the end or a post-test, like if at the end of your, your session, you do a post-test to so make sure that they're learning something, but maybe you also add a question that's like, how could this have been taught differently? Um, how would this be have been more engaging for you? Um, um, so I think having them inform the activities um, or the lessons, uh, the topics even, because um, so often, uh, particularly in school-based programming, um, the school is very nervous about the topic because they're like, well, young people don't need to know about this. Yes, exactly. If that requests are coming from young people to say, we need to know about safe sex or we need to know about um, just a, abusive relationships or tech abuse, cyberbullying, right? Like if it's generated from the young people, then you have maybe a little bit more standing to go to the school and say, these are the things that your young people have told me they're experiencing and that they want to learn about. Yeah. So that's one. Two, I think that young people... Empowering young people with resources and knowledge um, uh, is key because young people will go to other young people first before they ever go to an adult. In most cases, um, if they're in an if they're in an abusive relationship or they have questions about their relationship, normally they're going to turn to their friends before they turn to the parents or their teachers or their counselors or whomever. Um, and when young people don't have those accurate resources, they're assuming they're speculating they're going off of their lived experience um and sometimes that's not the most accurate information because they haven't had prevention education so when the more young people we can empower with accurate information both about abusive relationships about the resources available um both for people using violence and for for people um, experiencing violence um then we've create we've created another layer of safety because now when a young person turns to their friend and say, Hey, I think this is happening, that that friend now has more knowledge because they've been exposed to a prevention educator or a prevention yeah. curriculum. And so I think it, it really uh, empowers young people to, to, to help each other. Um, and it kind of makes them part of the solution process. So. All right. Excellent. Uh, and, and William, before we go, I kind of want to just um, ask you, being a, a man in prevention work, how did you find yourself here? Where, where, what is your background? How did you come to uh, 
to do this? Is this something you've always kind of had a passion for, or is this something that you just kind of did it find you? <laughs> or did it you kind of did. It kind of <laughs> did find me. So I in college, I uh, had really planned to go to med school. Like that was kind of my life path that I had set up um, for as long as I could remember. Um, and I decided I was feeling really nervous about it and wasn't sure. And so I decided to take a gap year and did AmeriCorps. Um, so it's a national service program. Um, and there's a bunch of positions, different types of positions across the country. Um, but I matched with a mentor, uh, with a program and a mentor in um, Florida. Uh, and uh, that mentor worked at a domestic violence shelter. And uh, the, the position was going into schools to do um, a relationship abuse prevention curriculum. Um, and so that's what I did for you. And I was like, I went into it thinking, oh, med schools are gonna love this. Like that was kind of my motivation. But once I was doing it, I was working with the young people. I was in the schools or, you know, I wasn't just in schools. I was also in settings like YMCA's and boys and girls clubs, things like that. Um, uh, even working like with the kids that were in shelter. Um, and I was like, oh, I really like this. Like, I really enjoy this education and um, feel like having these conversations about um, gender roles and about healthy relationships is really cool. I mean, I, I was just, you know, I was right out of college and I was just like, this is, I really like this. And so through that year of being in AmeriCorps, I really shifted my career goals. Um, and so then after my AmeriCorps term ended, I was hired by the shelter to be um, an advocate. Um, and I think I was the first male direct service advocate um, in that shelter's history, which they opened in like 1974. Um, and so this was 2014, I think. Um, and so, um, so working with young people um, in shelter, doing support groups and doing um, education and and so um, and then that just kind of set me up so that was you know like almost a decade ago so yeah. all right well William thank you so much I appreciate you uh, uh, your interest in doing this and it been uh, uh, such a good sport about coming on uh, to zoom and, and doing this I really appreciate it absolutely thanks for having me and and I just will say real quick I think that that anybody can do prevention. I think a lot of people think that you have to have this like specific social work education right. or whatever, but, but prevention can be done by anyone and in any field, like, you know, prevention workers work with like bartenders to know how to respond to someone in a space, or we're doing a campaign this year with librarians to know, you know, and so, so I think that prevention is open to anyone who wants to participate in it. Yeah. Um, and so definitely want to extend that invitation to anybody listening. Like you can, even if you're not, if it's not your full-time job um, in whatever your full-time job is, whether it's a stay-at-home parent, whether it is a business person, you can find ways to incorporate prevention into your, your orbit. Um, and so, so yeah. Um, thanks, Stuart. Sorry. William West, uh, Prevention Manager uh, with the Texas Council of Family Violence. Thanks a lot, William. Thanks, Stuart.
And as always, I always like to close out the podcast. If you feel like you need our services as an agency, the Family Crisis Center does have a toll-free hotline. That number is 1-800-828-7233. Again, that's 1-800-828-7233. And also, be sure to subscribe to Conversations and Connections. You can do that via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and pretty much any podcast service of your choice. Remember, be the voice, if not for you, for someone else. Thank you.